The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Amen. Jesus is on the throne. He is king. He is good. He is God. And this too shall pass. I love that scripture that says, and it came to pass. And we know that this crisis will come to pass. And when it does, God will still be on the throne. He will still be good. And his plan will still prevail. So with that, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to the book of Psalms. We're in the middle of a series we're calling Heart Cries. And tonight we're going to be in Psalm 27. And the title of my message is The Power of Focus. The Power of Focus. And I'll set things up like this. Just in case you've been living under a rock and you didn't know it yet, the coronavirus has the world on edge. <laughs> and that's putting it lightly, isn't it? I mean, entire industries have been disrupted. Schools have been moved online. Stock markets have had more ups and downs than any roller coaster I've ever been on. And we're all running low on toilet paper. Things are a little scary out there. But as terrible as the coronavirus is, there's something that's even scarier. It's infecting more people, and we're at greater risk of falling prey to it. And that thing, of course, is fear. Many of the experts tell us that the panic we're experiencing during this crisis might actually be worse than the pandemic itself. And I guess it doesn't help things knowing that there's this 24-hour news cycle that we're constantly being bombarded with, and it preys on all of our worst fears and prognosticates things to make it seem like the worst is still yet to come. And the combination of all these factors is more than enough to, to fill all of our hearts with fear. Now, here's what I know. I know as a child of God, I'm not supposed to live in fear. I know the scripture that says he hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And I know that the most repeated scripture or repeated command in all of scripture is don't be afraid. I think the Bible says it some 365 times. So once, essentially, for every day of the calendar year, God is telling us, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. But here's the thing. Even though I know all of that stuff to be true, if I'm being honest, there are still times in my life when fear finds its way in through the cracks and crevices of my life, and it it wraps its ugly tentacles around my heart, and I succumb to it. I, I want to live by faith, but all too often, I find myself shrinking back in fear. And my guess is that I'm not alone in that struggle. So here's the question. How do we move from cowering in fear to conquering in faith? What does that transition look like? And how do we get from one camp to the other? And I think Psalm 27 may hold the answer for us. You see, at the heading of the psalm, we find that it's a psalm of David. Now, most of you will know that David was just a young teenager when he was first anointed by Samuel as the future king of Israel, and God was replacing Saul, who was the people's choice, with a man named David, a man who was after God's own heart. But what we know is that David didn't immediately assume the throne. He wasn't just handed the keys to the kingdom. 
And so his road to the ascension of the throne was a long and winding one with many twists and turns, and it took more than a decade before David reached the throne. And it all started off so well. When David took down Goliath, he was thrust into the national spotlight, and he was given this position of prominence within the kingdom. He was the toast and talk of the town. And and from there, he went on to develop a reputation as a skilled fighter and a brave warrior in King Saul's army. But things changed as David's popularity grew, as he gained more admirers and followers, Saul's jealous rage began to intensify, and eventually things reached a boiling point, and Saul's jealousy turned to murderous rage and hatred, and he tried to literally throw a javelin and pin David to the wall, and David was forced to flee into the wilderness, where he lived as a fugitive on the run, hiding among the caves of the Judean wilderness. He spoke during this time about how he felt like there was but a step between him and death. All that to say, it was was a scary chapter in David's life. And yet, we know that many of the Psalms that David penned were written during this season of his life, including Psalm 27. And, And so when we read these Psalms that David wrote during that period of his life when he's on the run from King Saul, we might expect to find a man doing just that, cowering and shrinking back in fear. But rather, what we find instead is a man who is resolute and entrenched in his faith. He's triumphantly declaring that God will see him through. And his faith in God is on full display in Psalm 27. And so I think it's a perfect psalm for us to consider during scary times in our own lives. So let's go ahead and read it and see what we can learn from him. Here's what he writes. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. And at his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Don't reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord, you'll receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Don't turn me over to those uh, who desire me. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. But I, I remain confident in this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. A beautiful psalm 
And yet we find that here David is surrounded by enemies. Lots of people want him dead. He's number one on Israel's most wanted fugitive list. So what does he do? Where does he turn? What does he write? I love where David begins. He begins by just flexing on all of his enemies. And he tells them, I have nothing to fear because the Lord is with me. He begins by making three statements in the first verse, three reasons he gives us for why he doesn't need to fear. The first thing he says is, the Lord is my light, and so I don't need to fear the darkness. Let me say that again. I don't need to fear the darkness all around me because why? The Lord is my light. And I believe, by the way, that all of the emphasis in verse 1 should be placed on the word my. David is flexing on his enemies, and he's bragging on the fact that the Lord is his helper. The Lord is his defender. The Lord is his light. Now, of course, light and darkness are both mega themes in Scripture. They come up quite often. And every time that darkness is mentioned, it is used as a picture or a metaphor for wickedness or lostness or spiritual depravity. And every time that light is mentioned, it's used for understanding or holiness. And so when David tells us that the Lord is his light, what he's saying is, yeah, the world out there is really dark and that darkness seems to be getting closer and closer. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't need to fear that darkness because I have a light with me in here. And what was true for him is equally true of every child of God. We don't need to fear the darkness, as dark as the days might be out there, because why Jesus is our light. He is the light of the world. And as Colossians 1.13 tells us, he has delivered us from the power of darkness, and he has ushered us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So I don't need to fear the darkness all around me, as bad as it might be, because the Lord is my light. He goes on to make another statement. He says, the Lord is my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? And here David addresses, without question, one of mankind's greatest fears, which obviously is death. And what he's telling us is, not only do I not need to fear the darkness, I don't need to fear death, because the Lord is my salvation. Now again, the fear of death is one of the most pervasive fears out there. I think Woody Allen captured it well when he said, I'm I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And that captures the sentiments of most people. We don't like to, to think about death, let alone talk about it. And yet it's the one fate that we all share. It's the one thing that we all have in common. Of course, the Bible tells us that it is appointed unto men once to die and then to face judgment. And that the wages of sin is death. And so death is tied to this thing called sin. But what we need to understand is that death was never a part of God's original design or intent. It was an interruption in the plan. And it's why Jesus came. Jesus came in part to do away with death which is a consequence of sin. And Hebrews 2.15 talks about how when he died on the cross in our place for our sins, how he set free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. But we don't have to fear death anymore. Why? Because the Lord is our salvation. So David says, I don't fear the darkness because he's my light. I don't fear 
death because he's my salvation. And number three, David says, I don't need to fear the enemy because the Lord is my stronghold. So who do I need to be afraid of? Now, strongholds in ancient times referred to a military fortress. These installations were usually located at the tops of of high hills or on the tops of mountains, and they were basically impervious to attack. And so they came to symbolize places of refuge and, and safety from the enemy. But what's curious and interesting about what David says is when he says, I run to the stronghold, and that's what gives me confidence. He's not talking about a place that he ran to physically, but rather he's talking about a person that he found refuge in. He said, the Lord is my stronghold. Therefore, I don't need to fear any external enemies. Now, when you put all of this together, it presents us with a comprehensive picture of confidence. David is confident in every aspect of his life. He was infused with confidence and knew that he didn't have to fear anything. Why? Because the Lord was on his side. And thus, what we learn from David is that defeating fear really comes down to one thing, where you choose to put your focus. Focus really is everything. And when we focus on the Lord, our fears will shrink proportionately. To the degree that you're able to put your eyes on Jesus, to that degree, your fears will shrink. Now, let me try to paint a picture for you here of what happens in our lives. Um, think of a pair of binoculars or, or a telescope. Both are useful instruments, and both tools are used to take things that are far away and, and bring them close. So with a telescope, for example, you can look at the moon, which is thousands and thousands of miles away, and you can bring it close so you can see the dimples and the scars from asteroids that have hit it and all the, the rest. Incredibly powerful tools. But have you ever taken one of those things and flipped it around and looked through the wrong end? If you've ever done that, which I have, you, you'll find that it has the opposite effect. It can take things that are incredibly close, and it'll make it feel like it's really far away. Now, what I think we have this tendency to do is we take our telescope and we, we focus it on the wrong thing. We're looking at both our fear and God through the, long ends, the wrong lens of the telescope. We magnify our fears and, and we, we blow those things up. And then we're looking at God and he seems small and tiny and distant. And, and the way that you know you're doing this thing is, is because you tend to go to the worst-case scenario, and God always seems small. His power isn't potent. It's not big enough to deal with your problems. It could just be that you have the telescope turned the wrong way, and it's time to flip things around. Focus on God and watch your fears shrink. You see, we need a big God to handle life's big fears, big challenges, and big problems. So how do we do that? How do we enlarge our view of God? Well, it's quite simple. All you have to do is open this book. The more you read about God in this book, the more you'll see how big he really is and how small your problems are by comparison. I love what Jeremiah 32, 17 says. In that verse, God says this, and I quote, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? 
So God is big, he's strong, he's capable, and he's willing. And what we need to do is stop listening to and focusing on our fears, and we need to start talking to our fears and telling them about our great big God. And maybe we can just try this, right? Like, so the next time your fear walks up and whispers in your ear, it's a dark world out there, you can turn around and tell your fear, yeah, that might be true, but God is my light. The next time your fear whispers, you could die from this thing, you can tell your fear, that might be true, but God is my salvation. Your fear might whisper in your ear, there are all kinds of enemies out there, and you can say, that might be true, but God is my stronghold. He's my refuge. Yeah, but you might end up broke. Yeah, but my God already promised he's going to supply all of my needs according to his riches. Yeah, but you might not be enough, your fear might say. Yeah, but God has promised me that his grace is sufficient. Yeah, but what if you fall? Ah, my God has already told me that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not grow faint. Your fear might whisper in your ear, look at the size of the problems. And you can turn around and tell your fear, you look at the size of my God. My God is big, he's strong, he's willing, and he's able. So we need to preach to our fears, amplify the size of our God, and stop listening to our fears. But our fears are relentless, aren't they? They tell us things like, well, what if you can't pay your bills? What if you get sick? What if the economy doesn't bounce back? What if they come up with a vaccine and everybody takes it and they all turn into zombies and you're the only one who doesn't and everybody's trying to eat your brain and and we play out all of these worst case scenarios in our mind. But maybe it's time we flip the telescope around and turn our what if fears into even if faith. We can tell our fears even if all of that happens, even if the worst possible outcomes happen. I don't need to be afraid because God is still good. This is the kind of faith that Job displayed when he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's even if faith. And I think my favorite example of this kind of faith comes to us from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those three guys who were threatened by King Nebuchadnezzar? He had erected this giant golden statue, and he told everybody, when the music plays, bow down and worship the statue, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down. And the king said, don't you know that I can throw you into this fiery furnace? And here was their response. I love what they said. They said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Isn't that beautiful? He says, what if I throw you into a furnace? And they said, even if you do, we're not going to bow down. Our God is able to deliver us. He will deliver us. And we're going to hold on to that. We're not going to bow down. And that's the kind of faith that David has here. Wow, we're only in verse 1. He goes on in verses two and three, and he gives us some more reasons for why he was so confident in God. His faith in God wasn't blind faith, but what we see in verses two and three is that David's present faith that he's displaying here 
was rooted in his past experience of God's faithfulness in his life. He talks about when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Who do you think he's talking about right there? You have to imagine he's reflecting on that experience that he had in the Valley of Elah with a big guy named Goliath. In that situation, David got to experience God's faithfulness firsthand, didn't he? Goliath had every conceivable advantage on his side. He was a man of war from his youth. David was just a youth. uh, Goliath was skilled in the art of warfare. David played the harp. Goliath was covered from head to toe in armor. David tried on Saul's armor, but it didn't fit, so he went without it. If you were an odds maker in Vegas, Goliath would have been a 100 to 1 favorite. But for all of the advantages that Goliath held, David had one thing on his side that Goliath didn't, the Lord. And he knew that me and God make a majority in every circumstance. So that's why he was able to push forward in confident faith when the rest of Israel cowered in fear. Why? They were focused on their fears. David was focused on the Lord. He said, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the God of Israel. They were saying, he's so big, we can't win. David said, he's so big, I can't miss. And that's the difference that a little bit of faith makes. And it's why David was so confident that he could say, like in verse 3, the war breaks out against me and an army besiege me. Even then, I'm going to be confident. Do your best. If God's with me, I have nothing to fear. So David's focus is on the Lord in verses 1 through 3. But in verses 4 through 6, that focus It gets refined. It gets narrower. It becomes increasingly intensified. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, and this only that I I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And you'll notice with me that the further we go in the psalm, the sharper David's focus gets. And at this point, his focus is laser sharp. Think about a laser and how powerful a laser is. A laser can literally cut through steel, can it? But if you think about it, a laser doesn't utilize anything different than a flashlight does. Both are only utilizing photons or light particles. So why is a laser able to cut through steel, but a flashlight can just kind of illuminate a space? The difference, of course, all comes down to the degree of focus. And the more focused you become, the more powerful you become. And what we see with David is in verses 1 through 3, he's rejoicing in his confidence of God, generally speaking, but now his confidence has laser-like focus. And he says, it really comes down to just one thing. You can't get more focused than that. He says, one thing I desire from the Lord, and this is what I'm going to seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. This is a theme for David. It's his heart cry. It's what made him a man after God's own heart. And it's something that emerges in a number of the Psalms that he wrote. One of those being Psalm 84 verses one through uh, three, where David talks about his jealousy of the birds who got to make their nests in the eaves of the tabernacle, where they just got to live in the Lord's presence. And that was the heart of this king how he just loved the Lord so much. 
And it reminds me of that instance in the New Testament where Jesus was having dinner at the home of his good friends, Mary and Martha. Remember that? And while he's seated at the table, Martha's running around and she's making lasagna and she's serving drinks and she's dusting tables and putting out napkins and trying to be a good hostess. And she's none too pleased that Mary is there just sitting at Jesus' feet. And she lets Jesus know eventually when he doesn't get the clue, she says, Lord, don't you care? I'm running around. I'm doing all this stuff. And Mary's just sitting there. And, and I loved Jesus' response to her in that instance. He said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the better part, and it won't be taken from her. I wonder how many of us are like Martha. We're running around. We're hurried, and we're hectic. Our focus is fragmented, our attention is divided, and because of that, our joy is sapped and our peace is robbed. And Jesus is there whispering in our ears the same thing that he said to Martha so many years ago. Martha, just slow down. One thing is needed, just to be in my presence, to gaze on his beauty, to sit at his feet, and to behold the beauty of the Lord. That's really the only thing that's necessary. Everything else flows from that. Years ago, we used to sing this song in church, went like this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Our focus as it becomes narrowed, intensified on Jesus. As we do that, our fears shrink and ultimately fade and fall away. Look at verse 6. He says, as I dwell in the house of the Lord, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. And in his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. Now here David is gone from just focusing on the Lord in general to talking about the tabernacle where the Lord's glory and presence dwelt, and now he's talking about being in the Lord's sacred tent. A couple of images emerge from this picture that David paints for us here, and the first one is the word that he uses to describe God's deliverance of him from his enemies. It's the Hebrew word yasha. Say yasha. If you have a teenage daughter then, daughter, then you're used to her saying, yah, but this is yasha, dad joke. Yasha, and it's really closely related to the Hebrew name Yeshua, God is salvation. David says, God, you're my yasha, Yeshua. David was looking to God. He was ultimately looking to Yeshua. That's the Hebrew name for Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. And it's when we're in his sacred tent. Now, the sacred tent was erected in the middle of the encampment of the military and the army. It was the safest place on the battlefield because all of the soldiers would encamp around the king to protect the king. And so you were in safe company when you were with the king in his tent. And David says, that's where I am when I'm in the Lord's presence because I have the Lord's love. I'm protected from all of my enemies. And the psalm goes on from there. In verses 7 through 12, the, the focus, it gets even narrower. I mean, we are getting really refined in our focus here because in verse 12, it goes from the Lord in general, being our light and our salvation and our stronghold, to the Lord in his glory as it's seen in the temple, to the, the sacred tent where the, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt, to now, verse 12, David talks about 
um, the, the Lord's face, sorry, verse 8. He says, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek the face of God, the panim, the, the very presence of God. This is the heart cry of every true believer, to see the Lord face to face. What is it that Moses prayed? He said, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your face. It's what Thomas asked of Jesus in the upper room. He said, show us the Father, and it will suffice. And it's been the heart cry of every child of God who has ever lived. I just want to be in your presence. I want to soak up your beauty. I want to see your face. And the promise to every believer is that one day soon, we will. And we don't see it yet. Now we see dimly, but then face to face. Right now, it's foggy, but the picture's there. But the longer we walk with Jesus, the closer we draw to him, the clearer the picture becomes. Now I know in part, Paul said, but then I'm going to know even as I'm known. It's the day we're all longing for. But for now, we continue to wait, and we hold on in confident faith, which is exactly how David lands the the plane in this psalm. In verse 13, he says, I remain confident in this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But for now, I'm going to wait for the Lord and be strong. I'm going to take heart, and I'm going to wait for the Lord. I'm waiting until I see him face to face. But for now, I'm going to remain confident. Now, I love the way, if, if you have a, a, an old King James version of the Bible, I love the way that it translates verse 13. In, in my version, the NIV is what I'm reading out of it, and it says, I remain confident of this. But in other translations, it reads this way. I would have despaired, listen to it, I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. To me, this is the key to the whole psalm. David is still waiting in confident expectation. His hope is that those dreams that God had given him, the promises that God had spoken over him through the prophet Samuel would come to pass, but he hasn't yet ascended the throne. He's still hiding in the caves. The darkness is still encroaching all around him. And David says, you know what? I would have despaired. I would have lost heart. If I hadn't believed, I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Believed, I would see. David says, I believed I would see it. Hadn't yet seen it, but he believed he would see it. Now, how different that is than the message the world shares. The world says, essentially, I'll believe it when I see it. But notice the child of God says, I'll keep on believing it until I see it. And this is the difference. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. What did Jesus say to Thomas? He said, as Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I can see him with my own eyes and put my finger into his side and, and run it along the scars where the nails were driven through his wrists and feet. And Jesus shows up and he says, here I am, Thomas. And Thomas falls down and he worships Jesus. And, and, and Jesus says to Thomas, you you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet will believe. That's you and that's, that's me, that's us. And we're holding on to that prayer and that hope. 
How long are we going to have to wait? Maybe you're saying, I've been waiting a long time. God has given me dreams. He's put things in my heart, and I'm tired of waiting. Well, David had to wait about 13 years, for reference sake, which wasn't too bad when you compare it with Abraham, who had to wait, I don't know, decades, and Moses waited 40 years for the fulfillment of God's plans come to, to come to fruition in his life. Others like Jeremiah waited their whole life. The point is, as we continue to wait, and it's not a passive waiting, by the way. My wife pointed that out to me on our walk as I was breaking this down. She goes, yeah, but as we wait, it needs to be an active waiting. And I was like, ooh, baby, that's so good. It's an active waiting on the Lord, and we wait for the Lord because as we wait, he shows up in a hundred different ways. So I'm confident, just like David, that I'm going to see the goodness of God play out. Why? Because he's taken me from glory to glory to glory. And that's not just my story. That's the story that he's written over all of us. And in the meantime, we don't need to fear the darkness because he's our light. We don't need to fear death because he's our salvation. We don't need to fear the enemy because he's our stronghold. All we need to do is focus on the Lord and narrow that focus until he becomes the one thing, the driving passion, our life's sole pursuit, just like David. I'm, I'm going to be happy when I'm in your presence, beholding your penny in your face. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.